0: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events, to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our new Deeper podcast. My name is Mo, executive pastor at Conduit Church. Join each and every week with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. Good afternoon, Darren. Mo, I am so glad you're here. Yeah, each week we get together right? we mm-hmm. talk. And this week we're going to talk about... Uh, the the big reveal. We are continuing in our sermon series in the book of Revelation. We just wrapped up chapter three on Sunday, and going through what a Jesus church looks like. And uh, we touched on it last week in the deeper podcast. Obviously, you finished up the chapter on Sunday, and so here we are this week to talk about the three churches remaining the back half of that chapter. And uh, we're going to dive into Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Just kind of do a quick overview of that.
1: Yeah, and, and and actually this is a, i thought this is pretty important one. in fact we don't have a special guest today because this one might be a little more pastoral uh, because you know there's a lot of questions a lot of uncertainties but you know when we talked about these three churches um, if you believe the prophetic calendar that Sardis was a church that would be represented by much of like what is western um, denominationalism thing like it's like all the great halls of europe that are alive but dead inside that philadelphia is a church that is uh, representative of the modern missionary church uh, Mm -hmm. today Um, and then laodicea which represents what uh, i think is actually representative of uh, what we would consider like more of the progressive theology of Mm -hmm. today those that are uh, rich uh, but poor inside and but the thing that I guess the reason I wanted just you and me, Mo, today is that, you know, the church at Philadelphia was the one that Jesus had nothing bad to say about at yeah. all. He was uh, nothing but complimentary to them, encouraging to them. And, of course, that's the one I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the, also the other challenges is that it seems like not a single church on this list, when they looked in the mirror, actually saw the same church that Jesus saw. So I'm willing to be, you know... To, to to learn in that and but that said in that world if we are that church and we want to be we want to emulate that church the most that church was called Philadelphia it meant the church of brotherly love like that's what it means for b- uh, right. brotherly love which is what
0: I want to be yeah yeah and so in the modern context in the world we live today literally today because it changes year to year and right now it's changing every day Uh, in this covid world in this uh, protest world what what does a philadelphia church a church of philly what does that look like for conduit today
1: yeah and actually like the way that you phrase that because it's what does it look like for conduit because i can't answer that for any other church Um, Jesus' expression of what he's got, uh, what he's doing and all all these churches are are unique, but what I I think I can say with some certainty here is that what it should look like with us is loving our neighbors, right? Which Mm -hmm. um, in in the context we're in right now uh, has been complex because, I mean, everybody listening to here uh, right now, if you have any social media presence at all, and by the way, if you don't uh, congratulations <laughs> give it a year maybe yeah. come back in check it again a year from now if, if honestly if most of our church family wasn't on social media to communicate with I don't think I'd be on there right now right it just seems to be the only it's a disgusting cesspool of mm-hmm. hatred but it seems like the only cesspool of which we can get some information out there but but if you've been on you've seen uh, and this is this started like back in March at first it's like if you're not staying home you hate your grandma uh, it, it morphed into this idea that uh, if, if you're doing anything that, that doesn't follow protocol then you hate um, you're gonna kill grandma it sort of morphed now into you know wear your mask or are you gonna kill grandma it, it seems very confusing um, as far as like well then because those are actually good questions okay so if I do this is it gonna hurt somebody if I, is this safe is it not safe and that? I guess what I'm driving at is that that has been the primary question uh, conversation, is safe versus not safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that a Philadelphia church has to recognize that safe as a function of a single variable, uh, which dismisses any non-COVID thing as, as irrelevant, is actually not a loving thing to say. And, and to put it differently. Maybe to put it this way, it, it, some of these things we're saying is if you don't do this, then you don't love your neighbor. That's the, what you hear a lot of. And or I am doing this because I do love my neighbor, which is a, a great thing to say. Except that some of the things that we're doing right now to love our neighbor actually don't love then another neighbor. Like it causes harm. Yeah. Um, there's literally no question that. Some of the policies that we have enacted and have participated in, while saving some lives from COVID, are taking lives. Right. F- emotional. So, with us, the question of, of a the question of of, of, a, of a, a Philadelphia church, I guess, for us would be safe is a factor, but the question is more essential versus non essential. Uh, I mean, that's what we were we were told, right? We were mm-hmm. told that. Uh, this business can remain open because it's essential, airline travel, mm-hmm. um, YMCA child care essential. Uh, it remained open, has remained open, um, grocery stores remained open, mm-hmm. uh, meatpacking plants remained open even though they had outbreaks with it. Uh, and, and so then the question for a church is, are we essential or not essential? And who gets, like, who gets to decide right. if we're essential or not essential? I mean, how did we approach this at Conduit, Mo? Like, when we started... Because if you take this back to March... I'm saying this with such confidence right now and acting like this was just such a no-brainer. Right. This really wasn't a, a, a simple idea, especially back in in
0: March. No. I mean, when, when, when everything hit in March, I guess the second week of March, um, when we were asked to, you know, by, I guess, by the governor... To no longer meet in person, um, I mean that that came in like like a rushing, you know, water like a dam broke and just hit us all upside the head with now what? Like we we're completely overrun with opinions and um, having to come up with new systems and just I mean it was just really overwhelming. It felt like we were kind of drowning in all of it, um, except for the fact that. We had an incredible staff. That I mean, the only thing we knew to do at that point was to get together in the same room and listen to everyone's ideas, everyone's thoughts, opinions, and it was it was about the most elastic. Like if you can just think <laughs> of us of like a rubber band, like we were stretched all the way out, um, and we just created this war room in the back, uh, the back room of the church, and whiteboarded and. Put together the craziest ideas, thankfully none of which, some of those, you know, never saw the light of day because they were wild (laughs) ideas. But others were were so good that we implemented them. And a lot of that was just based on um, data, numbers, information, common sense. Loving our neighbors and, and defining what that even looked like from our children's ministry all the way up to our our oldest um, our oldest members our oldest churchgoers yeah yeah and you know just taking a look at all the data and slowly assessing and you know none of these decisions were made in a vacuum nothing was made by a single person and it was like the the it was just an incredible team effort um, that allowed us to. You know, put some systems in place fairly quickly.
1: Yeah, I'm especially proud of our team because, I mean, like I came back from Israel, like Sasha and back into Israel. We're going to finish the book of Mark. We're going to build this new building. And it's just, you know, and then literally it's that old Mike Tyson thing. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And I'm like, oh man, we just got punched in the face. But we. And if I, by the way, the the word when we go into twenty twenty one, there are some words that I'm going to not want us to bring with. Oh, so so many. yeah, yeah. Uh, pivot so though many. is one of them. But I, <laughs> like a, I'm not even sure pivot. We were like square dancing, man. We're just like yeah. swinging and hoping we hit yeah. something. But what we did in March was based on data because mm-hmm. in March the predictions were that this disease could kill five to six percent of the people. That's mm-hmm. like unimaginable number. Yeah. Um, scary number. Yeah, like and so nobody knew, but that's what that was the best guess and so we were making decisions based on on that. And I remember that uh, press conference with Governor Lee because Governor mm-hmm. Lee, man, that was a spirit-filled guy. That is a guy that I aspire to be like. I want to be him when I grow up. But on that day, it looked like he had seen a ghost. Like yeah. he was something something bad is coming. And what was happening was he was getting data that thank God turned out to be ridiculously wrong,
0: not even close,
1: not even kind of right. So like when uh, Governor Cuomo and you know between him and God and all, I'm not here to make any statements on that. But but when he said we're going to need thirty thousand ventilators by Tuesday, it was based on mathematical equations that turned out to be like by order of magnitude wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when I look back on when we decided to not gather publicly. I don't regret that. Based on the information that we had, right now we're 90 days later. Uh, there's almost six months worth of data that, that, available from everywhere—from China to Iran to Europe, you know, right to Iowa. Mm-hmm. And here's what we know: we know who is in danger. Uh, we know that our seniors and that we love them and we want them. Can you imagine how wicked a disease it is to take mm-hmm. out the wisdom from your genera? Yeah. The, the wisest people we have are the ones at most danger. In fact, even um, just today, Wall Street Journal article uh, was saying that we know that the, the this virus, if across the spectrum from zero to whatever... That percentage is about 0.5 to 0.6 percent. Like it's literally half of what, way, way, way less than half of what they thought it was. Yeah. It's about five times more than the flu right now. Again, they don't know, but they they don't think it's going up. They think it only goes down from here. This isn't going up from here. But we but it also said something that really really struck me, and that was that if you are age 65 or older, it is 40 times more deadly to you than someone in your 50s. Like as you get older, the deadlier it gets. Mm-hmm. So we know that that is a danger and it is important for us as a church. And I, I would like to say, if you happen to be listening right now, you're in that generation and we have not loved you as well as we should have, know that we are thinking about you and praying, how can God uh, lead us? We talked about that
0: even in our staff meeting. Um, One of the things that we did during that time of being under lockdown, I I believe it was for 10 weeks we didn't meet in person is when we turned our our sanctuary our auditorium into a TV studio. One of the things that we did, uh, which was difficult and it was hard, but but man, um, probably the most rewarding was we divided and conquered our entire congregation into groups of about 10 or 15 and divided that amongst our staff. And we came up with something called care calls, conduit care calls, yeah. where we were intentional about literally physically calling um, people each week, once a week, uh, to just to do check-ins. How can we pray for you? What are your prayer requests? Do you have any financial needs? Um, and I know that's not scalable for everyone, and it was almost not scalable for us other than the fact that we had an incredible staff that was willing to not only our staff but our elders and their wives yeah yeah we had a team Um, effort here everybody jumped in and so that's what we knew to do to look hopefully like a Jesus church to look like the church of Philadelphia to love our neighbors was to to literally just get into their lives on a one-to-one with a phone call we couldn't meet everybody was in lockdown but we can make a phone call um, and That was incredibly rewarding, and so now here we are. We're eight weeks. We've been meeting this Sunday. Will be eight weeks that we've been meeting in person again. Wait, what? Yeah. So almost as long as we weren't meeting. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's actually weird. I didn't know that. It's moving. It's moving at a pretty fast clip. But, but so now that we're meeting together, and it feels like you know the. the 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 rules have changed on what we should or shouldn't do along the way over these past eight weeks but but here we are now and so i guess we're asking our same the same question you know even amongst our staff and amongst other church leaders is now how how do we love our neighbors you know how what does that look like what is essential versus not essential
1: yeah and that's a i mean it's just um it's weird because on the one hand like i feel like i could whiteboard this out and then then just confuse us all but on the other hand we really don't have to do that because uh, we know right now there's, like, there's no debate if the numbers are in. Calls to suicide hotlines are literally through the roof. Uh, addiction uh, centers are overflowing. Um, one of our elders told me that he had went to pick up in his other job somebody from detox uh, to take him into detox. He had relapsed into alcoholism oh, and the wow. guy told him, You know, man, I lost my community and I lost my will. He'd lost his church and he'd lost his will. Like These are real lives. So that's, again, like, is it COVID versus alcoholism? Like, what if we don't have to choose? Like, what if there is a way to be together to give hope to somebody like that? Because his life is no less valuable than the brothers and sisters are. are, I mean, in my mind's eye, I probably shouldn't say their names, but... We've got some wonderful seniors in there. I will say one of them, Bud Abbott. I want Bud Abbott to be around for a very long time because that dude is kind and he's smart. And, you know, he's he would be considered high risk and, you know, 50 times more risk than I am. So if, if if there's a way to continue to love him while we're gathering for, that could then offer hope to those who need it most right now, I just don't think that's an either or. Mm-hmm. And what are um, many government officials, I won't say all government officials, but many government officials have made it an either or. Like, it's a, it's not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can come together uh, and offer hope to them. And I, 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 people are, I'm sure they're sick of me talking about it. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But our church specifically, when they joke about it, it's like coming to a GoFundMe <laughs> church. like Right. You know, people, we had a guy there two weeks ago. He heard me talking about slavery in Southeast Asia. We received a $10,000 check from him yesterday. That literally, that would not have happened had we not have been in that room together. And that is going to save the lives of, I mean, at that much money, four to five per family. We're talking 50 to 60 people whose lives have just been saved and dramatically altered because we we gathered on that day. And so, is it a... is it a zero-sum game? And the answer for a church of of brotherly
0: love is it? It just can't be, um, because we can we can gather, we can meet and gather safely, sensibly. Y- yes, like I guess that's one of the one of the points is we we can gather together. We've 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 capped our room sizes. We've capped our children's classroom sizes. Um, we're we're cleaning the The building, we're wiping, spraying the building down between each and every service. Um, yeah, all those, all the, all those uh, oil ladies that were all into home care, like you know, <laughs> all the you know, diffusers,
1: diffusers stuff. We, we got that, and we got bleach, so we're literally like nuking corona in <laughs> between yeah.
0: services. Yeah, and so I mean, there's there's literal practical things uh, that we're doing um, to make sure that when we do meet, that we are being safe um and and so uh, the point is is that we can we can meet yeah um, those that want to wear masks are wearing masks
1: yeah and we um, welcome that by the way if you're listening and you're not wearing a mask because you think you would be judged or you whatever please for the love wear the mask if you if you feel that that's what you need for yourself and that's for yours and by the way if you're high risk i would go even more so i hope i you know And if you're high risk, uh, stay home. And if you're coughing or sneezing or sniffling, whatever, stay home. Those are all things we've been doing. There's nothing that we're going to do on this earth that is without risk. Everything is about a risk mitigation, like driving to church. Right. Is dangerous. One of the things like I, um, so you, you guys know me, I'm, I'm not a big fan of flying and I'm really not a big fan of flying in little planes because <laughs> I've just known, and I literally have known too many people that have either died or been uh, harmed in little planes. When I go to Haiti now, um, that, there's a little flight and it literally looks like a puddle jumper and it can get me over the mountain and back down again. And it's terrifying to me, right? right? Oh, yeah. But it's actually more risky, which is sort of irrational for me. I actually would rather be on the road. The only reason I'm doing is it saves time. But it's actually more dangerous to take that road into Jockmel than it is to fly into Jockmel. Even though my brain doesn't think that it is when I'm like holding on for dear life as we're flying over Mike Howard and I flying over the the thing with it. There is not. There's no such thing as no risk. There's only mitigating it. driving to church carries a lot of risk right driving pulling out of our parking lot like
0: <laughs> right now during construction
1: you're right left out of our parking lot without officer rogers that you know sometimes that's just you see it they give it a couple inches you just thank him for it and right. gun it and get out of there but and not to be cavalier about it as it relates to us because there, there is that risk for us um and I guess I'd say this and then we'll just move on. But when it comes to what it looks like to be a church of brotherly love, one of the things that people have said uh, that I that I love and, and they have asked, you know, isn't like wearing a mask itself. Isn't that about I wear a mask because I love my neighbor because it makes him feel better? Um, there not that better? And I would say a couple of things on that, of uh, First is this. Um, the science that has been around for decades actually did not change between May and March. So like, there is no new science that says they're more effective. And I know that if you are listening and you're a mask person, you're immediately saying, Darren, that's irresponsible. Everybody's saying we should wear masks. They are, and they're saying it because we could lower infections by 10 to 20%. If 95% of the people wore them uh, they said that we would have the virus under control in two months. But the problem is, is then what? Because the virus isn't under control, there's still a virus. And then we just have to start wearing masks for the rest of our lives. Like there is no plan for it. So when you see somebody not wearing one, it doesn't necessarily mean it's about my physical rights, like my my liberty. You know, some of you it is, but that's not for us. Like I'm I'm looking for something that gives something more than you know because it's not a hundred percent and literally you can go to whether it's Noah Feldman uh, Nate silver at 538 these I'm giving you all liberal progressive guys who are quoting epidemiologists so this isn't just a conservative Republican thing this is a genuine thing we don't know how maybe 10 percent now for some of you guys 10% is enough that's enough reason to wear the mask but I would have framed it a different way and say that, if our kids are going to be in school this fall and they're going to be wearing masks all day long, six, uh, seven hours a day in a classroom, if everywhere they go, there's a mask. would it, For an hour a week in a socially distanced classroom, is it, is that okay for them to not have a mask for that hour to see somebody's smiling face, to see somebody's hope in their eyes? Is that okay to take a 10% risk off the table? That That's up to everybody's. Which is why you got to answer the question yourself of whether you're going to wear the mask or not. There are those who have then said, "Well, but by loving my neighbor, isn't that better?" Uh, and they would talk maybe about First Corinthians nine and ten about you know because I have liberty, just because I can, for the weaker person, should I wear the mask? Like that's sort of how it's it, it's it's posed and. And actually, I thought about it yesterday with Paul uh, in the book of Acts. He and Timothy were heading to a Jewish place, and they just literally just passed this thing that said, Hey, being circumcised is not required to follow Jesus. There's a big deal for them. Right. Uh, and then, literally, like the next chapter, it says they were headed to this place, and then Paul circumcised Timothy. Like it's just a sentence and it keeps going. But if you're looking at it going, Whoa, 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 whoa. back up. He did what? Right. He, which I guess in that case is actually cutting the mask off <laughs> more than putting the mask on. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's uh, inappropriate. But that's not what we're talking about here. Because if I'm wearing a mask to get somebody saved, like that's kind of what that liberty versus non-liberty. And we're not talking liberty versus non-liberty. We're talking essential versus non-essential. We're talking in that moment on at that time for especially five, six, seven-year-olds. Like I'm okay with taking that risk. Uh, with it, um, if if the government passed a law and said, you guys have to wear a mask starting this Sunday and everybody had to wear them, we would be having a different conversation. Right. But our government officials have said that if you're a place of worship, that you get to make that decision. And so we prayerfully, we thoughtfully, we researchedly have dug in and said, hey, for this hour a week, for our church family to not have it on... Again, it's not without risk. Um, it doesn't mean that we're not gonna have somebody contract COVID, God forbid, but they might in our church family, but they've also contracted COVID in meatpacking plants. They've contracted it in Sam's Club. They've contracted it in uh, airplanes. And the you know, point being that there is no such thing as no risk. We're mitigating it and then we're going to say that the value of the emotional health of our people, the emotional health of our congregation, the physical health of our children in Haiti, that that is worth it. And then just, and, and by the way, those are just a couple of reasons that even if you don't believe in Jesus are important. And I would take one more step and say that as followers of Jesus, there is something transformative in the power of gathering together that happens um can it happen in a house church absolutely uh can it happen sitting alone in your in your living room no because there's something about when you come together it doesn't have to be in a sanctuary i'm not suggesting that but that's not really the options that are being laid out in front of us right now the options are you either go to church or you sit at home on your couch and we're saying we feel like this is a good use of uh based on what we know right now and and uh, and we decided, even with our with our kids ministry, uh, to open that up. I mean, what, do you remember that conversation, Mo?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's it was, I mean, as of right now, you know, kind of across across Williamson County, we we decided to go ahead and have our children's ministries meet, um, and we're one of the only uh, churches in town that are having our kids meet, and this will be week eight that we've had them meet again in, uh, limited capacity. Um, certain precautions are, we're not having snack times where we're, you know, everybody's grabbing cookies out of a jar and you know, we're we're, everything. (laughs) Licking each other. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing the common sense things that you would expect us to do during a time like this. Um, and what's been crazy is that, uh, our, our kids' ministry right now is exploding. <laughs> we're having more kids uh, come each and every week, and we're having to find different ways to spread them out even further yeah. um, because the kids want to be there. And their parents want their, parents their kids want them. to be there, to have the social interaction, um, to have just the ability to to get out of the house and do something that they know uh, has meaning and purpose. And I look, suffer not the little children, right, <laughs> to
1: come unto me. But again, if we had data that showed that it was dangerous for children, okay, we, uh, I think back to the beginning of March. There was a pastor in Florida who, who knew all the information everybody else knew, and he still said, "Oh, we're meeting anyone anyway," and then I'm gonna I'm gonna curse the power of COVID. And by the way, I've already defeated the power of Zika. I swear that's what he said. He he defeated Zika. Now, in fairness to him, Zika did go away. So I don't mean, I don't know. We'll figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) He took credit for it. Maybe we need to learn to take more credit for stuff like that. But anyway, but we started watching the data again coming out of uh europe especially uh it's funny to me by the way most progressives they've been telling us we need to act like europe for what 20 years and now all of a sudden yeah. europe's doing this and like oh no no europe yeah, doesn't know what do they're that. doing you know, yeah. Europe's stupid um and here i am as a conservative guy going but well, let's follow europe so I, the whole world is upside down but literally boston globe today okay again not exactly a bastion of conservative think uh, his headline was, it's time to reopen the schools. It says that prolonged time away from schools has led to months of lost learning, widened gaps in educational achievement, especially from students of color, lower income households. Mm-hmm. Like, like what this story is saying is true, that this distance learning is not only harming children, it's harming the most vulnerable of our children. Yeah. like those who are uh, children of color or, or or children and i and I say this also the children in rural America, my right. people, the way I grew up, like we right. we had you know we had internet powered by little chickens out in the backyard pecking away and powering at the internet, but it talks about the the studies and again this is not they're not guessing anymore we've got months and months of data on this. Multiple studies show that children are not only less likely to become serious ill from COVID-19, they're also half as likely to get infected in the first place. Overall, the rate of infection requiring hospitalization among school-aged children, 5 to 17, at the beginning of the pandemic, was roughly, uh, so from the beginning of the pandemic through July 4th, uh, the, the rate of those requiring even just a hospitalization is one in 20,000. And of course, now I know it. I can hear it right now. You're saying, "Yeah, but it's the teachers and the staff that we have to be concerned about." And it says, "What about the teachers' staff risk?" Again, listen to the science. A report by the former head for the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention under President Obama. Okay, so again, we're not. I, I feel like I need to say that kind of stuff because if I felt like if it was under Bush, they would say, "Oh, that's just a Republican trying to get it done." And Uh, But under Obama concluded, children appear less likely than adults to transmit COVID-19 to others, unlike other viruses like influenza. Though this evidence is still limited in preliminary studies examining schools with known cases of COVID-19 have shown very low transmission rates. For instance, in one case, just two students and no teachers infected out of 863 close contacts. That's a remarkable number others show zero confirmed infections. I mean, I could go on and go, Darren, of course you can, but we made the decisions based on that. Like these are the numbers that are happening out there. And what we're seeing right now in uh, amongst our teachers, and if you're a teacher, I mean, no disrespect to you whatsoever. Like I've just successfully graduated my third child from public high school and they have been better for it. So I don't mean any disrespect to you uh, like at all. But there are lots of places, airlines, Walmarts, places where people are taking great risk to be a part of doing something. And I would encourage you to consider prayerfully is that what God is calling us to do as Christian teachers? to love our neighbors, mm-hmm. is to say, I'm going to be the one to take the chance on this. I am going to take the risk. If you're high risk, don't quit. Do whatever you got to do. Don't. I'm not suggesting that. But man, you're 35 years old and you're not in that high risk zone and you're living in fear. I would ask for you to say, maybe this is not something that I, that I should shrink back from and there are some children that might need me. Because here's the thing, and I'm going to say this uh, this, this from today, from Bethany Sondark uh, in the Bay. This is of Silicon Valley. She's a reporter. She's talking about how home Silicon Valley, okay. Remember just two months ago, they're talking about homeschooling. Harvard's going to host this thing because homeschooling's of the devil and it's right. going to kill all the children, whatever. Homeschooling is, a rock, is literally about to take out like a rocket. Exploding. And she says, um, but here's why, the, the point that she was making though in this is that it, across Silicon Valley, this is happening. And so the, the wealthy people with power are able to afford uh, great tutors. They're able to yeah. pay for uh they're they're she's calling them pods. Around here we would call them a tutorial yeah, or a co-op. They don't know what they're they right. know what they're talking about yet out know, there. They'll figure pods. it out real quick. <laughs> she's talking this is a lady that studies technology saying, look, this is ramping up in a way that's something like nothing has ever like it's ramping up quickly, kinda of like what we ramped up with our uh with our home uh with our recording and video mm-hmm. we had to But but what she talks about that this is what I wanted to share was that uh There are going to be people, she says, distance learning is hell on all children, but suddenly high-income families are going to have, uh, they're going to supplement all their quarantine pods. If you're a homeschooler, you need to just change your name to pods, by the way. Uh, They're going to supplement it with private uh, quarantine pods and and private tutoring, and low-income families will be stuck with no assistance for eight years, uh, for eight yo's. What is eight yo's? Eight-year-olds. Eight-year-olds. Eight (laughs) yo. Eight yo. Who are supposed to be on Zoom for five hours a day. This is on top of already not uh, not having a way to work with children stuck at home and being more exposed with essential jobs. She goes on to talk about children with special needs, like the, the most vulnerable among us by us not opening up schools is going to, they're the ones that are going to be harmed the most. And if we're looking for equity in our society right now, that's why the Boston Globe, NPR, multiple publications, including, by the way, 67,000 pediatricians, which signed a letter. And I know that there's some letter floating around in Tennessee from these 2,000 doctors or whatever. But do 67,000 pediatricians get a say in this of what is healthy for our children? Uh, I'm I'm not making this, I guess I just did. I, I don't want this to be a political thing, but...
0: Well, they, they've they kind of made it a political thing. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this is where this is really coming from yeah. in, in a lot of ways. And so to that end, if that's the way that our
1: government will, um, with our children, to me, a church of brotherly love says we're opening up our kids' ministry. Because if you're going to be, especially if you're one of the most vulnerable and you're trapped in front of a screen for seven hours a day, I think it's six and a half hours a day here at Wilco. Man, uh, what about a day where I can come hang out with Mr. Joey? learn about Jesus, have encouragement, and I'm not cooped up in this. To me, that feels more essential than non-essential. Is it safe or is it not safe? Wrong question. What is the risk? What risk are we willing to take to give some mitigation to that, to give that gift of encouragement to, to those children? And, and by the way, when we say that a dangerous place, I, 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 you know, I, we talk a lot about what's happening in the media right now. But I want to say this. A church at Philadelphia, this was a church in the middle of some of the most intense persecution in the history of Christianity. For for whatever reason, we in America have so far been uh, immune to that. Mm-hmm. But there's a tide that is turning. And, and it's funny because a lot of people, in fact, a lot of my Christian friends even would say, oh, that's not persecution. If you want to go to percus you know, persecution, go to X and X country. And, Of course, I have, so it's not like I don't know what I'm talking about, but but on a spectrum, what we're seeing right now is a narrative, especially from liberal, progressive legacy media outlets that is specifically targeting churches as dangerous places. And that is actually the headline from the USA Today story that was out on Friday which is, uh, quote, a dangerous environment, unquote, as churches reopen, outbreaks sprout and some keep doors shut. This was in response to Andy Stanley's uh, decision to keep his okay. doors yeah. shut. But listen to what the outbreak and what the danger that, that this reporter is talking about in USA Today. Uh, I used to, by the way, I used to love the USA Today because it was in color. Uh, it was a color paper <laughs> and it had pictures. Um those are the good old days uh 40 places this is i guess we can post these in show notes i'll post these articles but the the writer saying of uh, almost 40 places of worship and religious events have been linked to more than 650 cases of the coronavirus since the pandemic began according to tracking by the new york times now by the way inside of this is 40 they're actually counting camps like christian camps which is not a church service. That's actually kids hanging out, living in a dorm. Like, of course that's bad. So, But that's completely disingenuous to include right. that. But let's grant the writer that it was, that, that that counts. Hundreds of thousands of Christians have been gathering since... Billions. Right. Since June. Yeah. And 650 cases is what they're calling dangerous. That the headline should be: Wait, what? Only 650 cases? That's it? Right. Now there have been. You're listening right now. You might be thinking, Yeah, but I know this one. Or I know that one. There have been outbreaks, and there have been people that have passed away in churches. That's true. There have been cases from airplanes. There have been cases from Amazon warehouses. There have been. And by the way, Amazon. One of the things you don't maybe you don't know this or not, but. Like if you work for Amazon, you don't even have. They don't even know how many. Amazon is not reporting how many cases. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there are HIPAA laws. I'm also sure because it's bad PR. But there, <laughs> right. But there's no headline. Amazon is a quote dangerous place to be. Like th- that's a very specific word that is being used and parroted across media outlets
0: targeting us as as places of worship, calling us dangerous. Yeah. And meanwhile, um, last week, last Wednesday, I believe it was, NASCAR had their all-star race held at Bristol Motor Speedway, Bristol, Tennessee. They opened it up to the fans. 20,000 fans showed up gathering together.
1: Uh, to, Dude, I'll bet that was loud, too, man. 20,000 NASCAR fans back yeah, together. to watch yeah. a
0: race, gathering in their, their temple <laughs> to <laughs> to worship, uh, you know, race car uh, racing. You know, I'm not a race car guy. I'm a sports guy, but I'm not a race car guy. But it doesn't matter. The yeah. fact of the matter
1: Well, because is- the question, maybe this is a debate that we ought not start here today, but is, is NASCAR a sport or is it an activity? Because sport, to me, would denote... Uh, a, like an athlete thing, this seems more like a skill that like. I would say golf is
0: a skill, not a sport. You know, we're 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 in the southeast, and so oh, I'll be careful how far down the habit yeah, trail to go. I on that thought
1: one. masks was going to be controversial. I'm over here insulting NASCAR. <laughs> and in fairness, I've uh, I've seen those cars go around, and I swear to you, I don't want to be anywhere near driving one of those. Fact anyway. of
0: the matter is, twenty thousand people gathered um to watch this event. You know, it's an event. Just like uh, a church would gather to um, put on an event, and there was no negative media around this. It was actually celebrated, and the excitement around it was like, "Look, twenty thousand people gathered. They all followed, you know, protocols. How fantastic that people can get out again! Right. All in the same, you know, in, in the same article of, you know, churches are dangerous. Yeah, and it's just." It's hard to read. Yeah, that. and here's and I'm going to say this.
1: My like my jumping off point um, for some of this was when the when the protests started happening back in May. And by the way, I, I'm for us speaking up on behalf of our black brothers and sisters. I participated in a couple of the marches because it's like it's important so I, I actually agree that that is an essential activity I'm, I'm not a fan of burning stuff down i'm not a fan of what's going on in portland with a movement that's been hijacking uh my black brothers and sisters but that was essential and i swear when i start hearing they called them the white coats for black lives saying this is actually safe this is important enough this is and two weeks before when people were protesting in michigan they're saying you're going to kill your grandma but here you're not like there was inconsistent. It, yeah, the inconsistency of it was like, okay, okay, now I just I think I get it. Like it, there is a risk here, but we're going to decide what it, what activity is is worth the risk. And in that way, I'm thinking then that is, I have no desire to allow the government to tell me whether worshiping as a church is a part is worth that risk. That is only something that we can it is is what we do essential enough to. Uh, to take that risk to, to me. I'm not going to let the government tell me that. Like, that's not, that is a question for us. And I do believe that what we do is worth that risk 100% because the risk is so little, so low, so almost zero. And the payoff of saving someone's life in Southeast Asia or in Southeast uh, Tennessee is just worth it to me for that.
0: Yeah, we, we make risk assessment every day, all of us do in our everyday lives, we are constantly assessing risk from when we leave the house or where we go, decisions that we make, business decisions, family decisions, relationships, we are constantly assessing risk in our lives. And there are far riskier things right now than than this. Yeah, and I take it back, because I
1: I've, every time, I don't know, it's I feel like every time we say something like that, like I have to come back and say, if you have, if you've had the disease, like, and you had, and you were one of the the one percent that you had a really bad battle with it, or if you've lost mm-hmm. a loved one to it, like well, the way we're talking right now, I actually feels pretty cold and feels pretty heartless, and and I hate that because it's not what we mean at all. It's just I, we have to figure out a way to say that how can we honor that and fight for those while not at the, at the risk of everybody else, yeah, with it. You know, one of the things that the media um, has done, and, and I say the media very loosely, because there are some great journalists out there, and there are some not so great. But uh, there, there's a, a guy that I've been following on Twitter for a while. I've been following a lot of data people because I just am trying to understand the numbers of it, right? In the same way that a car accident, if you work it, if you work in an ER and you see nothing but the car accidents that cause somebody to die or almost die, then you probably view driving differently. Than someone who is just looking at the numbers, and I'm looking at the numbers and saying, "This, is, you know, some people have had very horrible things happen in cars, but I still drive everywhere I go. Uh, I get on a bicycle. I know stories of people that have been uh, hit. I, there's a guy named Mark that just got hit last week on Udale Covington Road, right outside my street here. I still get on there because I know the numbers. Statistically speaking, the chances of that happening are not." Higher, It's not not very high. But here's what he's saying right now. This guy is talking about the numbers in Arizona because everybody's been freaking out about Arizona and Texas and Florida. And what's happening right now is the numbers appear to not only have peaked, but now they're falling. Okay. Following this pattern that seems to have been in uh, in Italy and in Europe where the virus itself seems to follow a pattern. Um, But he talks about that. These signs are we should be concerned. Like we should look at Arizona and say that it's been in trouble for, uh, for weeks. That's not, uh, it's, it would be untrue to say that they're, they weren't in trouble. Uh, but he says, I'm gonna tell you all a secret. All the data people are hoping, they're looking at these five states, hoping and believing they are at their peak. We're all looking at the daily data coming in and there are signs that these states are at a peak. They might not be, but they might. And so we're all holding our breath over this next week and this tweet was from yesterday. Or I'm sorry, this morning, holding our breath over the next week and uh, and praying to see case reductions. But this is what I want you to hear. No one in my data circles, friends, says this. They don't. Nobody's saying this because offering optimism and then being wrong is how the um, I guess people will say buttholes on Twitter destroy you. This is why the news is constantly dour. There are no consequences for being pessimistic and being wrong. The only time you are attacked is when you offer signs of hope and those signs turn out to be false. Uh, we call that hope shaming yeah. conduit. Like the, when we start talking about the hope and I kind of caught me off guard early on. I, I shared a couple of uh, articles that were like, oh, this is actually really hopeful. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, one of them was about children not being at risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got kind of dogpiled for that. And uh, and I and then I actually heard Bill Maher, who's one of my favorite atheists. Uh, refer to it as hope shaming he's like Mm -hmm. can you can we just say if something's positive we don't have to all dog pile on them that that's a hopeful thing and as far as the gospel goes itself as far as what we are doing even in our church what jesus is doing in the world there is a lot of hope to look forward to Mm -hmm. these numbers that i've focused on that we focused on i wanted you to hear them because i wanted you to know we weren't making decisions just uh uh, because we went into a closet and, and prayed in tongues and got a, a word from the Lord and came back out like we actually prayed but we also prodded and we researched and we talked and we and, and I would say that maybe we're wrong it's sure possible now six months in I'm thinking I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, that, that this is this felt like the right risk to, to take for the payoff that we're getting. But I have asked myself this question. It's a question that John Eldridge asks a lot. And it's one that I, it's like I have to keep coming back to. And that is, like, what is God up to in all of this? Uh, in our country, um, in our church, and in the world, what is he up to? And I got to think, you know, you hear people say all the time, oh, we love the book of Acts. That's where they had it the best. And you'll hear people say that. Oh, let's go back to the book of Acts. I've said that. And then I forget the part that what made that church so beautiful and so precious and so pure was they were the most persecuted church probably in, in history. Like yeah. they were being crushed. And so when I asked the question of what is God up to in all of this, and I want everybody to listen to me on this because he's I felt like the Lord spoke it to me. And it's worth it for you to maybe consider this as well. Uh, when you look at an olive the thing that is the most valuable about the olive is not the olive, but the oil. And the only way you get the oil out is to crush it. And maybe, just maybe, God is using this environment right now to crush me, to crush you, to crush church as we have known it, because there's some good stuff in us that needs to get out. Mm -hmm. And what that has done for me is it's actually allowed me to live in a way where I look at some whether it's uh, journalists who are being dishonest, whether it's somebody sending me a mean email or whether it's somebody on TV that they're that, that, that putting these policies together of but they're crushing me, but they're getting the good stuff out of me. Mm-hmm. And so instead of resenting them, I'm reframing it and saying, man, thank God for that. Thank God for them because now I'm learning, we're learning as a church. I mean, that whole thing about making phone calls, Yeah, like we're acting like that was some brand new genius thing. That's like, you know, part of me is like, wait, we weren't doing that already. <laughs> like that's, right. And you're right, not scalable or whatever. But man, that's just called pastoring. Like yeah. I think they covered that at like Dallas Theological Seminary. It, it was good for us to have to to reinvent that and to think through what that might look like. And we might get more chance to do that in the days to come. Uh, I don't know how this is going to uh, unfold. I mean, this election coming up is going to be
0: uh, fascinating, uh, to say the least. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, mean, I love this analogy that you've that you've brought up, you know, the new wine, the olive, the oil. It's for sure crushing and pressing out the pride in all of our lives. That is for sure. It's teaching us all a lot of humility. And if there's one thing that we can learn from this entire 2020 is that if if your hope, if our hope is mm. in nothing else than is in anything else but Jesus Yeah. It, uh, clearly we can't put our hope in our government <laughs> um, putting our hope in government officials putting our hope in our jobs putting our hope in our bank accounts in the unemployment system whatever it is our school system are for me to Uh, calibrate this entire thing for my heart is just to know that my my hope has to be in jesus yeah and nothing else
1: yeah if if we can't learn this from this because by the way science became our god in the past few decades here in Mm -hmm. the enlightenment science became the god
0: oh clearly yeah and
1: Science can answer a lot of questions, but you can't answer value questions with science. So has to come from some, someplace else. Science doesn't answer love. But what science also apparently can't do is defeat a virus that kills 0.5% of the people that it infects without killing 30 million children. Without So if my hope is only in even that, right. th- then that is short-sighted and, and incomplete. Mm-hmm. And what the church at Philadelphia, what he told them was this, since you have kept my command, this is Revelation 3, verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. Um, but actually, I better make a note of that. I'm not sure I'm keeping that command so good. Right. Now that the patient I've re- part? <laughs> yeah, now that I've read that out loud, I'm like, oh, I'm Ouch. not really doing that so good. Uh, but because you have a uh, command uh, to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. If you're listening to this right now, uh, Jesus is coming back. Everything sad is going to come untrue. It's going to be reversed. We're going to be back in Eden. But before we get there, there is a shaking coming to our planet and you don't want to be anywhere near it. Uh, we're going to get there soon in Revelation where he says, he says, I looked out and I saw a sea of people, uh, great and small, all standing before the throne to find out whether their name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in the in the letter, I think it's Thyatira is where he said it, where he talked about, I will blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. There's an interesting, to me, a connotation in that, in this your name is in there, but if you reject him, then it's blotted out of there. Now, theologically, there are some problems with that thought, but that seems to be what it is saying, that it's not like I sign up and then my name is written in this book. It seems to be that it is your name is written in this book and you get it blotted out by rejecting him. He's not gonna force anybody in there that doesn't wanna be there. But man, when that day comes, when, when he returns, or if you should uh, pass on before then, we will all, all of us, all 22 chapters of this book, they're all going to come true. This prophet, uh, Jesus who lived on this earth, was not just a prophet. He was. He was a priest and he was a king and he is the son of God. He rose again from the dead and he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's what the book of Revelation is telling us. And if your heart is not right with him, and by right with him, I'm not saying you're behaving well and doing really good. But anyway, do you have that relationship with him? Have you invited him into your life, repented of your sin? I mean, the sin of just me being my own God, the sin of me wanting it my way, the sin of my kingdom come, my will be done. If if there's anything we're seeing in this world right now, we are seeing what, the, what it looks like, the, the, the answer to the prayer, my will be done, because this is what science was able to get done for us. This is what government's able to get done from us. This is my will be done. We wanna pray his will to be done. I wanna pray that his will is in your heart. And if that's you and, and you don't know that you are right with him, I wanna pray with you right now, God, will you be with uh, my brother or sister who is listening and as they are praying to invite you into their life, to repent of their sin, to confess that you are Lord you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are the one that is coming back. And Lord, we pray right now that as you enter their life that they would have that courage to reach out to someone in their life or even to someone in our church family right now that can begin that life of following Jesus. Because if that hour is coming, Lord, we want to be nowhere near it on this earth. We want to be part of those that are gone. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, those two churches of Sardis and the church of Laodicea—neither one of them—they were both churches that exist to this day—and neither one of them were told that they were going to escape the hour of tribulation coming upon the earth.
0: Like Philadelphia. Like
1: Philadelphia.
0: Yeah.
1: We want to be the church of Philadelphia. It's not easy. It's not. Uh, it's not simple, mm. but it is pure, and that's our desire—to love our neighbors, to love all of them to love you who are struggling with addiction, to love you who are struggling with emotional uh, trauma, to love you who are b- b- poverty in in, uh, in in Indonesia, and to love you who are sick with COVID-19 or who are at high risk right here. We just don't think we have to choose. We want to love all of you. I hope that's what you take away from today, yeah. the City of Brotherly Love, Mo. How can they uh, get in touch with us if they yeah,
0: need to? Yeah, you know, I, a podcast like this feels like we... Might have some people with some thoughts or some feedback, so we uh, encourage it. We we would ask that you email us at info at conduitchurch.com we would love to get your feedback uh, answer any questions uh, hear your comments and uh, just a simple email info at conduitchurch.com you can find out more about the church at conduitchurch.com um, and of course just search conduit at any social media platform and you can find out more information about us there too
1: yeah and if you man if this thing has, uh, has spoken to you would you mind sharing this podcast with your friends and your family like you know, we're not Joe Rogan, right? Oh, you're like, duh, you're clearly not Joe Rogan. But we, if you believe these messages are important, we would love it if you would share it with your friends and with your family, whether it's on social media, you know, email or just call somebody if you're not on social media. We'd appreciate if you'd share it. And yeah, and if you're in the, uh, in the Nashville area, I hope to see you on Sunday. Uh, but I need you to register. ConduitChurch.com. RSVP. Because we are mitigating by cutting our <laughs> auditorium in half. And obviously we'd love to see you online as well i know there's some of you that are watching from home and know that man, we're praying that the soon and very soon that whatever happens that it will at least include you having the ability to get out and into the world uh in a way that uh, is is safe for the risk level that you're at so okay absolutely hey we love you guys thank you for listening and uh, we will see you hear you be with you next time on the deeper podcast